Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours on this episode. I talked to the Upper Strata. Again, this is their third time on here. They're the third threefers on this podcast. Um, I've known Johnny and Regula uh, at least a decade. I met them in Arizona. They're now based in Basel, Switzerland. But um, they're actually going to be doing a West Coast U.S. tour in March of 2023. And they just released their new album, Hue, H-U-E. Um, and we talk about that and a lot of different stuff. Um, always great to chat with them. The last time I saw them, I was on a road trip five years ago and it was in Portland, Oregon. I stayed with them for a night, um, cause that's where they had relocated to, but yeah, they've been in Basel, Switzerland for several years now. And, uh, yeah, always great to connect with them. Hope you enjoy this chat, and if you're on the West Coast, hopefully you get to see them play live. Highly recommended. Um, So here, enjoy my chat with the Upper Strata. Couple minutes early. Hope that's all right. It's okay. Yeah, we're recording, so... (laughs) <laughs> how the uh how'd the show go it was good um i never know what's gonna happen when we get there yeah um so i always like to try to get there early because there's one time she's like oh, i had a guest cancel can you go on now i'm like yeah sure sure <laughs> so i just showed up and she's like yeah we didn't we were supposed to have another interview you're the only interview tonight so you want to do two spots yep we did one at like seven ten, and then one at like seven forty or something like that. Was this a radio show? Yeah, it's a it's a internet radio thing. Okay, but you can stream it, and uh, I, I don't. I guess you can play it on a real radio. I yeah. mean, it's got a radio band and everything. Sure, but we just never think to do that. But it's just a weird idea. To even, I, I guess when we're on a road trip, we play the radio, and it's always country western and right top 40 so we don't really play it anyhow but yeah somehow we just the country stations have a satellite right on your car as you're moving along but even in even in switzerland country country no like when you're in the u.s yeah no swiss radio is kind of strange um the good radio is usually from germany or austria yeah but the national radio has maybe a good show here or there but yeah it's not great. <laughs> it's usually really, really middle of the road. They have what three stations, four stations. Yeah. One is one is like the oldies. Okay. For the seniors, one is for the not as old but still getting old. Right. One is for the kids, and then they have different language stations like French and yeah. Italian um, programs in Latin, the Latin language from Switzerland. Retro Romanish. Yep. That's tricky with four languages, you know, to try to get everybody to have radio time. So Germans the Germans the the primary language there, right? Yeah, about sixty percent of the population is doing German. And then uh, there's just one canton that does retro Romanish, the the Latin language, and then one canton does Italian. Really, I mean, if you get government forms, you can get them in any of those languages. Sure. So that's a big task for them to translate and have to provide 
for four languages. So. Sure, sure. The show that we were on is called The English Show, and it's supposed to be for English expats to integrate into Basel culture. And so they, they have, like, a vocabulary word every, every time about, here's how you say this in Swiss German. Oh, okay. It's pretty funny. So it's kind of part integration, part... We know there's people who speak English here because tons and tons of people came for pharmaceutical jobs in Basel. Sure. Pharmaceutical companies, all the big ones, everybody, Bayer, Novartis, they're all in Basel. Yeah, I'm so, I'm about to start working for a pharmaceutical company that's that's based in Basel originally, so or or sure. still. So yeah. Can you say it on the air? Uh sure, because this will air by the time I've probably already started there. Lonza. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, a big sky. One of our skyscrapers in town is Delonza Skyscraper. Yeah, they've got a they've got a huge, huge facility here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So, uh, thanks. Yeah. So, uh, what's that? It's a good move. Are you happy about it? It is. I. um, It's funny. I right now. I I just got off uh, communicating with someone from HR there because they're having a little bit of difficulty. Uh, authenticating my degree. It's it's funny. I have I have a degree in sound engineering, which I haven't done anything with, and I'm not going to be using it for the job. But one of the requirements is that you have to have a, a degree. And the school that I went to um, while I was in Arizona got absorbed by another school, and then about six or seven years ago, it, that got absorbed by another school. So they have a record of me going there, but that's about it. So, but. They, they're like, well, we're having trouble authenticating it. We're gonna, we're putting together a package of other positions that we have open that don't require that, just in case it doesn't go. Like they're basically like, we want you, regardless. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be a good change of pace. Uh, I think working with the public during the pandemic, you know, for the last, you know close to three years now has burned me out. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Her, her ex company, the one that she just left, uh, last like year, um, they were just jerks about that. They have all these stores where they sell liquor and wine and beer. Yeah. And they just didn't want to get plexiglass for the workers. They didn't want to abide by any of the, it was it's shocking to see how, some companies can just be really awful about it and how expendable you are as a, as you know, a frontline worker. Yeah. Teaching through the whole thing in a mask, you know, which was weird, but yeah, I was happy to have the mask because now like I don't have a mask. All the kids are sick all the time. Anyhow, and I'm sick all the time. So sure. I feel like that was a better deal having, having to wear the mask. So yeah. but I, I think this whole generation is going to be really great at reading expressions in the eyes because they've had to do that so much though for sure well it's i kind of take for granted the fact that you know i'm an adult it's this this has been like a weird few years but there are people young enough you know kids who um either started school during this or the bulk of their school has been dealing with this and it's uh you know i i i think this is going to affect people in ways we can't even predict yet absolutely absolutely you know and I, 
thinking about the difference between the current album that we did and the album that we did during the pandemic. And it's like, we're talking about, Oh, she went and recorded pieces in Malaysia. Right. And sampled Berber musicians in North Africa. And, um, that, that's a completely different situation than being stuck in your house writing an album. For sure. And you don't have a way to play it for anyone. You don't have a way to, you know. And I was thinking about one of my favorite tracks on the last album, and it's uh, Bittersweet Place, which is about, uh, about Paul Clay actually being on his deathbed and just in, like, desperation and frustration, he starts doing doodles on whatever scrap of paper he could fine and now these are in museums right they're priceless right. works of art but you read the caption at the museum and he was stuck in his bed and I'm like okay I was stuck in my apartment I was relating to that situation it's not good you don't want to put right. an audience through that you know <laughs> it's like we, we were just consciously like well we're going to bring color yeah. <laughs> we're going to go somewhere totally different and and really it's been challenging because now that we have to learn songs and recorded them we didn't play them out much we played a few of them out now doing that departure and going somewhere so different and then trying to play songs that you don't know and you have to learn them it's like it's almost like trying to learn someone else's songs because they came from such a different right now the regular key to a lot of it could putting all these rhythm tracks down first and then I was putting guitar tracks and go back and forth like that. So. Yeah, I know you guys are doing a uh, um, North American West Coast tour in, is it April? March. March, March. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, how, I mean, obviously um, the entity, the upper strata is the two of you. Um, are you going to be playing with, are you going to have a drummer, uh, at those shows or just the two of you? We have a box and we put the drummer in the box. Perfect. <laughs> it's easier to travel with him. Sure. Sure. You got to find a short drummer then. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, we will do a number of acoustic shows like what you experienced in mile high. Yeah. Same songs, just done acoustic, but heavier on Delta Blues and things like that. Okay. And we book those shows as Johnny and Reg. And so when we're saying we're Johnny and Reg, we're saying we're Delta Blues and Americana and more. It's acoustic. Okay. And then the other stuff is done with the Looper Station. And uh, we we just, it's which is really, really unforgiving. I've talked to a number of musicians who are like, wow, I don't think I could do that because the drummer will slow down for you or speed up. Right. And you can communicate, but it's a machine, and it's just going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all, but it's been really good, for, I think, for our timing and as a metronome uh, to play to a, to a rhythm track. But as, as two people who do lots and lots of layers in each song, it was always frustrating to not be able to get all those layers live. Yeah. So we just, we, once we broke through that sort of taboo of let's put it on a looper station and play to it, then it was like, we. she's got her keyboard parts on there and she's playing bass live. She's singing to it. Maybe there's um, a weird sound, a vocal sound that we put in the background somewhere. So we just feel like it's more of the experience of the songs closer to what you hear on the albums. Yeah. 
that you just can't get as two people. You know, we have had a number of drummers, and which is kind of like we always make that Spinal Tap joke that we've had some. But um, we had one group in Long Beach that we were trying to get a show together with. A jazz guy wanted to play with us. He sat through our show, and we played a show with him. And he was like, "Oh man, it's time to come to Long Beach. I want a drum for you. I really like what you're doing." Um, and he he was really impressed with the beats that she created. And so we we were going to try to do that, but then the show, the place we played at. Uh, changed ownership and we didn't have a contact there anymore and so we're not doing Long Beach this year which is the story of the whole tour so far sure we have this contact in Santa Fe and another contact here and other, none of them have come together yeah uh, so it's a different tour than we were expecting but it'll be right now it's Arizona California Oregon Idaho um, Montana Utah Colorado. Yeah. I saw that you're playing in Bozeman, Montana. Um, do you have you guys ever played in Missoula? No, we haven't. I'll have to. Um, We've never done it. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll have to hook you up with uh, a buddy of mine who has a couple connections. It's a guy I grew up with in New Hampshire, but he's been living in Missoula for 20 years. But he's got a couple uh, uh, live venue connection so i mean if you're gonna be there you know and if you've got a date either way you know maybe maybe you know i mean it's a it's a beautiful uh it's a beautiful city it was funny when i did my my road trip five years ago where i stayed with you guys out in oregon um i had reached out to tara lynette who i had met in jerome about being on the podcast and i didn't know um, that she wasn't in Arizona anymore. So like when I was on the road, she's like, yeah, just let me know when you're going to be in Montana. And I was like, Oh, you're in Montana now. And she, she had moved there like a month before. And she like moved like literally like right down the street from my buddy who I grew up with. They didn't know each other, but it was like weird. Cause I was like, here's a guy I knew in New Hampshire. Here's someone I met 3000 miles away. And they're like, you know, <laughs> seven eight hundred miles you know their neighbors so nice yeah awesome that's pretty crazy yeah yeah that was that was quite the adventure that you were doing then yeah i just got back from uh not not quite as uh not quite as um ambitious a road trip but i was just i just drove down to key west florida uh and just got back uh like five or six days ago that was more wanting to do, uh, uh, wanting to go to the southernmost point in the United States, just cause I had never been, cause I'm not a huge fan of Florida. And, uh, <laughs> I wonder why, <laughs> well, You're not old what's that? You're not old enough. <laughs> That's true. It's, uh, you know, I've heard the, the saying of Florida is for people at the end of their lives or at the end of their ropes. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. This trip certainly underlined my feeling about not loving Florida, but it was, it was an experience. I like a good road trip, but it was also, uh, funny because I, I got a little homesick, which I, and this was a much shorter trip than my last one. My last one was 38 days. This is about nine days, but I also realized that that previous one, 
I, I literally was homeless. I didn't have a home to come home to. You know, I had to figure out what I was doing where this, you know, the, the domestic situation is much better. So I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I, I do have a situation that I'm, uh, that I'm looking forward to coming home to. So, yeah, that's, that, that's a huge difference. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That changes the way you travel, too, because then it's like, oh, yeah, this is a really crappy hotel in Morocco, and I can't wait to get home, kind of, you know. Sure. The more comfortable your places, we're a really nice place in Basel now. We had a pretty dumpy one before, but we we still liked it. It had a really cool balcony we could grill on, do a lot of grilling, and we were in a nice neighborhood. um, But... uh, yeah, this place, it's so comfortable and so convenient that, you know, we're pretty spoiled. And it's like, you could stay in a really nice hotel, but it's not as nice as our house. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? So it's just different when, when you're traveling like that and, and camping and things, and you really, really appreciate getting home. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so much nicer than sleeping on the ground in Utah or something. For sure. For sure. But, yeah, I definitely... Um... I actually only stayed in a hotel one night on this trip and stayed with some friends some nights, but I also slept in my car a few nights and it was just, you know, cause it was in the seventies for a lot of the Southern States. So I was just like, it's, you know, it's not too bad, but back of, back of a Nissan Sentra is not super comfortable either, but you know, I, I worry in the States. I just, I think, yeah, bad stuff happens a lot. Sure. And especially Florida, I mean, it's like it's a cliche. Oh, something, some bizarre murder happened. Yeah, it was Florida. Yep. You know, it's going to be Florida, Arizona, California, or yep. New York. You know, those are the places. It's like you've got most of the country, nothing bizarre seems to happen in, but yeah. Florida magnet for it. Well, it's um, f- funny. The only night that I stayed in a hotel was in Florida, outside Miami. And uh, uh, I felt I felt less safe that night in a hotel than I did like in, in, uh, in a rest area in Georgia, you know, two nights before. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. We had a bunch of places. The last time we toured in the U S we had some hotels that were so crappy. Yeah. <laughs> Just like scary. We were in some place in Washington state that we were pretty sure was like an underground bordello. Yeah. Like there were guys just standing out in front of these doors of these of these hotel rooms, and there was just like all these gangster-looking people just congregating around. And we got to the we got to the hotel too late to check in, so you know nothing. We just had to, to drive on. Yeah, but that's another story. <laughs> but I mean, driving through the parking lot and seeing what in the hell is going on in this place. This this is not normal that all these doors to all these hotels or rooms are open and there's guys standing out front like like bouncers and we're like, ah, okay Yakima keep driving yeah so that's our Yakima Washington story <laughs> the bizarre place but um, yeah that's too bad because we played a show in Seattle and we, we ended up having to leave too late to check in our hotel even though they said they had 24 hour check in like, right like, Bell because they were running no Bardello, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so they couldn't come check us in. Otherwise um, occupied. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It was crazy. Drug running, something going on. It wasn't good. 
the worst was last time was Carlsbad, which is a beautiful little touristy place. Yeah. But between the highway and the beautiful little touristy place is like the sketchiest hotel ever. It was so bad it was no longer a Motel 6. I mean, you know you've fallen off the edge of the earth at that point when when Motel 6 will just so It's a Motel 3. Forget it. It's like <laughs> you can still see the crappy, like the symbol of this, this Motel 6, but they just put Motel over it. Right. It's just, and it was like Meth Head City, and uh, it was bad. Yeah. But, I mean, there was literally a guy out in the parking lot throwing his knife into a tree. Yeah. You know, you can't make that stuff up. If it were in Twin Peaks or something, you'd think, oh, that's just yeah. silly. David Lynch, silly guy. No, there he is, Meth Head throwing a knife at a tree for some reason, blasting really, really badly made rap. Yeah. It's not like it was his, probably. It's probably his rap, actually. But it was just, you know, like out of a really cheap old stereo. It, it was quite the scene. Yeah. We're lugging all our equipment into the hotel room. With knives. Like, please, please rob us. Right. Please. It's a, it's a pawn shop. Come get our stuff. You know. <laughs> I saw um, one the first night that I was in Florida when I actually stayed at a, a rest area at around three in the morning when I woke up and had to use the bathroom and went in, I, I, I saw this very surreal scene play out because the play, you know, all the little restaurants were closed, but, um, and I had to, as soon as I came back in, I had to like make a video just describing it for myself. Cause I was like, I was like, if you saw this in a movie, you'd be like, that would never happen. But, I was like, I saw it in real life, and and I'm only not telling you now because I'm actually using it in the screenplay that I'm working on right now. And I'm just like, when someone sees it, they'll be like, no way that that happened. I'm like, oh, it 100% happened. But I was just like witness to it, and I was like, I, I got to get out of here real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Craziest thing I ever saw at a rest stop was a guy in a delivery truck. Yeah. And he was cutting across the Virginia uh, rest area across these fields. Yeah. There at the, there's the highway, and then he's trying to slow his truck down. Parts of his truck were falling out yeah. under the truck, and he got to the got to the front of the welcome center and got out and went to go make a, a phone call. It was that long ago on a payphone? Yeah. And he walks up and he. And he was standing right next to us, and we're looking at him. We're looking at the pieces of the truck that are strewn all the way out the highway. And it was like hell the first day. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! (laughs) Again, you know, you see that in a movie, you're like, oh, right. First day slash last day. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Well, remember that truck you gave me, boss. It was funny because I've listened to um, your new album, Hugh, a few times. Uh, it what was it, last Friday that it, it, it officially came out? Yeah. But then, like, over the last couple of days, I've been going back and listening to older stuff in the catalog, too. And I, I, I busted this out earlier. Um, <laughs> which is, well, it's funny because, like, and I, because this is an audio format, people didn't see it. I, it's, uh, I, it's your first album under the name Upper Strata, right? From Restless to Ruin. Right. It's the it's the 2013 reissue, so it's 10th anniversary of 
you know, a, a, a 27 year old album, something like that. Uh, yeah, it's crazy, right? Right. Uh, but it's funny because like listening to that, like I finished Hugh and I was like, let me go back to this. And I'm just like, I mean, obviously your voice is the through line in it, but it's very like, you know, you know, and listening to the body of work in between, you can, you can see the, um, transition, but like listening to those two albums in stark contrast, it would be hard. You'd be hard pressed to go, Oh yeah, this is the same artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We pulled it off of Spotify because of that. Cause it was like, we went to this club and they were, we were playing at this club and they, they put us on Spotify yeah. to promote the show kind of thing. And it went straight to that album, which for one, I, I don't know, my, the register, my voice was a lot higher. I right. think. Right, because I was a lot younger and uh, a lot <laughs> less seasoned. A lot less seasoned, yep. I think. And um, but uh, it, I think it gets confusing when you have that many different styles of music. Because the next song that came on was "Roman and Wandering," which was Arizona era, right? Really how blues, you know, yep. and uh, slide guitar and all that. And and then the next song was something with her on accordion, and then the next. It's tricky. It's tricky. Sure. And, uh, I mean, the whole idea of Upper was it's whatever's on top, whatever appeals to us at that moment. Right. But there's, I think there's limits <laughs> to what, you know, people can can go with you on. I, I mean, our friends just go with it. And they're like, yeah, okay, there's a new album, new songs. And like you said, you can probably hear that it's still us. Right. You can definitely, he has a distinctive way of playing and singing and, um, all of the electronic things that we've done that she has programmed in, you know, sounds and, and done keyboard and things, that's pretty distinct too. And I think you can hear that yeah. common thread through some of the, some of it. But I, I feel like every album is is a challenge and a departure for us. So, and that's exciting because you know I think it's like we were playing some really old stuff with the new stuff rehearsing and and I got to this one song that at one point was the hardest thing I could play and sing yeah it was the most difficult most challenging and I'm like really that's it that's all I have to do <laughs> because every album it gets worse right, right. every song gets worse and there's a point like on this album where I'm just trying to underplay like um, Swimming Pool Blue to me is like the study in minimalism yeah how do I how do I play as you know, tasty notes, but as little as I can to allow the song to have room because I just wanted space. Yeah. I I think there's always, you know, every time you approach things differently, you grow, I hope. And every time you push yourself technically, you know, what you did on the last album seems easy all of a sudden. Yeah. (laughs) So that's fun. But so, but you could hear a common thread. You could still tell it was me. For sure. For sure. Um, it's funny too, because like, I, you know, I had to look back cause this is, this is the third time that you guys have been on here. Um, uh, and I had, I, I forgot we spoke in December of 2020, um, about Luop Elk. Um, cause I, in my head, I thought it was the fog and the instrumental album that we were, that we had talked about, but it was cause I don't know, to me that sonically is like that and hue are, are, are sonically closer. I, I think because they're more, you know, electronic and ambient 
elements uh, where, um, and, you know, Luap Elk also has that, but that almost seemed like a little bit more, you you know, and it it sounds like from, because it was, it was kind of a, a, a COVID lockdown record, more sparsely sparse instrumentation, but um, going back and listening to them in order now, I was like, oh, this is actually more of a, it's like you were saying where every album's kind of got its own character and whatnot, where it wasn't, it, it was less of a kind of a linear, like, all right, more and more and more electronic, where it was just like, and that makes sense how that one was recorded as opposed to, you know, all the samples that were recorded for, you know, fog and for Hugh. Well, I think it's really, it's a pendulum swing type of situation where sometimes she's really inspired and she throws a lot of songs out there or a lot of ideas. And I end up being the arranger and saying, Oh, that, yeah, I can write to that. I hear lyrics to that already. I hear a melody. Um, and then sometimes it's a lot of my ideas and, I feel like part of why Lua Belk was less successful um, as a work was that she was less invested. Okay. She contributed less. She So she, she didn't feel like, these are my babies. I have to make sure these get out there and and I believe in these songs. It was kind of like, I just had this concept album in my head and I wrote it all on an acoustic guitar and then we, we put it together and I'm like, here, put a drum beat to this. But that's not the same as, oh, I've got this cool drum beat, can you write to it? You know, sure. That's more, more interesting. But as well, I think Fog is so intriguing as well because we started it um, in uh, Portland and we toured with those songs and all the way up into Canada and places and we played some of those songs for a long, long time and then we, we worked on it a little bit when we were doing our acoustic album in in the woods of Oregon in a log cabin and then we worked on it in Basel and then we took almost the finished album and and, work, and, and worked on it in Norway yeah right there you're going to get the flavor of all those different places and you're going to be inspired by those different places we went and recorded the Vulcan in the Italian church kind of rushed yeah because we had to deal with church bells and barking dogs and lawnmowers and it, it really was not ideal as a field recording situation and there's something weird about being in a church that kind of puts you off so you, you're at first like afraid to really belt it out and then once I got into the acoustics I belted it out a lot but I feel like this one is more interesting because it's Malaysian we recorded stuff there and then we we worked on it in Morocco and, and the fact that we were inspired by all these different places and these different musical traditions, because North Africa and, and West Africa are so rich and they're so important to the blues and, and to, uh, you know, Ganawa music and all these different traditions. <clears throat> but we're, that's a whole different thing than you know, I'm stuck in my apartment dreaming about being Lua Belk, you know? Mm-hmm. Not, you know, imagining the Second World War and this great artist going through that very, very different to be inspired by a market in Marrakesh or, or, you know, actually riding on a train in Malaysia, you know, or whatever. So I think it has a different life because of that, because then in the same with Fog, which we're also very proud of, we're very proud of Fog because I think, I think there was so much behind it 
and it was such a it was it really encapsulated our whole time in the northwest which we loved yeah and we didn't really want to leave but um and that whole adventure we were having in the northwest and the great people we met there and the food we had and everything yeah. all of that that album so well and that was a pretty ambitious project because you not only had the the core album you did the instrumental version but then you had the companion uh image books to go with them as well right which we're working on a huge one as well nice i don't know we got we've got so much on the on the table right now hopefully we'll have it done in time for the tour yeah maybe not maybe it'll just be something we ship out after yeah. drag around we're still dragging around all the little belt companions, but we're out of the fog ones, so yeah, we may print those, and which gives us a chance to fix some of the typos and things <laughs> from the original version, which some of which are pretty embarrassing. But um, yeah, no, that was a that was an incredible thing because you know it was our first time trying to do something tangible, something tactile, right? With and people reacted to it in, you know, wide range of, you know, you know, had a wide range of reactions. Some people were like, oh, it was so great. I sat down, I streamed and I listened to it, and I read all the lyrics, and I had, it was like an experience. And other people were like, oh, so this is it? There's no physical copy? This, you know. Right. Uh, so it's like, because we had a lot of people last tour that wanted it on vinyl. We like, oh, right. Wish. Wish. But we're not, you know, we're not that wealthy. Come on, <laughs> that kind of money. Well, and if you, I mean, if you were to, because that's a that's a longer record. I, I would imagine you'd have to do at least a double album, or if you, you know, if you included yeah. the the instrumentals, you'd maybe a triple album. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, I I did the calculations in my mind, trying to get it to be like the standard for vinyl today that people want, you know, 15 minutes per side. And yeah, it would be a double album. And, yeah. would be, and it would be tricky to split it even <clears throat> because fog is so damn long. The song fog, yeah, like, like nine minutes. And then you've got these little snippet things, but even like into the green is like six minutes. I think. Yeah. So it's hard to, you don't want to have too many of those long songs on there. Yeah. I mean, you would be pushing the 15 minutes to get it even on a double album. So, but the instrumental is the same thing. And then, but the problem with that is you go back in and you start thinking, well, I always wish this part was longer. Oh, you know, then you're in trouble. Right. 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 <laughs> then you're, you're pulling at George Lucas and messing something up that people like, you know, you know, <laughs> let's add some scenes. <laughs> well, I did, I, I did notice both with the last two albums that they were, and it's not just you guys, it's, it seems to be the trend now that people are sort of tailoring like full-length albums uh, for the length of vinyl, you know. Um, was that, a, was that a, a conscious decision? Um, you know, like, well, what's going to fit on a record? Yeah, it was actually a struggle. The songs were longer. Yeah. And we decided we're going to put you out on vinyl. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, but... It's too long. So how do we edit it down? Yeah. So that's kind of interesting because it makes you think about what is not necessary in a song. Sure. 
I hope that the songs profited from it, from an editing. Right. Yeah. But also on vinyl, I mean, there's no gap between songs. Yeah. It's kind of startling because you're used to that. But in order to get it down in time, that was the first thing you had to go. So it's like, quick fit out, boom, next song. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little jarring uh, because it's not what you're used to hearing. But like Temple Gold, which is a song that we just love playing and and has really kind of has already grown since we recorded it. Um, I still wish that were longer. Yeah. I still wish that another couple of minutes just to because it's such a good experience for us to play it. And, but then you get into these ideas of well, does it really need that? Does it really need? Because like live, the songs are going to be longer. Right. Some of them. But we cut out little choice parts for the vinyl. Sure, it's kind of it's kind of a strange compromise to have to go through. I mean, you want it in on vinyl because that's what people want, but you also want to be able to hold that thing right. because we're vinyl as well, and you want to see that finished product and have that whole experience of looking at it, reading about it, all of it. Um, but yeah, it's a limited medium. There's a reason why CDs were a leap, you yeah. know, and I think somebody in another probably 10 years is going to go, wait a minute, <laughs> why did we, why did we give this up? It's still the same experience putting something on. Yeah. Not as mindless as streaming where you can just stream for days without thinking about it you know or you don't have no idea what you just listened to or any of that no connection to it right um but it's uh it was a great format because yeah. you could have 24 songs on a single disc or something yeah. like this and uh so maybe, maybe in 10 years we're gonna produce cds again <laughs> those would be the cool thing to fingers do. crossed well it's funny because it's already becoming like CDs is sort of like the hipster thing that to like collect again. Um, yeah. It's funny because that's, and I think it's just time frame, like my age, like CD is still my preferred format for music. Cause that's when, when I really started building my collection, that's what I have. And, you know, I have, it's funny to me, a small vinyl collection, but like, it's, you know, like five or 600 records where like my, but my CDs, it's like 10 times that. Um, but so many times, like, and I have no problem if like people only make physical media as vinyl, but I've gone to like friend shows and stuff and they're like, oh yeah, if you want our new album physically, pick up the cassette. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? (laughs) That was the worst, worst, uh, fad. Is that still going on? It's it's still going on. And like, I, it's fun. One of my guests who I'm going to have back on this podcast later in the year, he he has a side project. And the first their first album, it was vinyl only, which I was fine with. But then the second album was cassette only. I'm like, if you're going to make me buy one obsolete format, you got to stick with the format. Edison Cylinder. Yeah. Let's bring those back. Yeah. Hot wax. But who has a pencil at home anymore to right. roll up the tape again? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was funny that when that fad was starting to get to be a big thing in Phoenix, there was a, a scam company that was 
they were producing these cassettes. Yeah. And if you listen to the first couple of seconds of it, there was music. But there was it was only the first few seconds of each of the each side. And so they, they somehow they knew in their wisdom that we can produce these cassettes because no one's really gonna be able to play them. Right. They ripped off all these bands in Phoenix. <laughs> And they all started like, wait a minute, there's no music on this cassette. And right. Nobody knew for months because nobody's really playing them. Well, and all the cassettes that come out now, like all the new cassettes, all have a download code with them. Uh, it's crazy. Right. What's What's insane to me is like new cassettes now in stores, they're more expensive than CDs. Um, I mean, and I know they're more expensive to produce because there's not as many manufacturing places, but, you know, uh, Taylor Swift, they just, you know, released her most recent album on, on cassette. And I was looking at it at the record store and it was, you know, the CDs like 1399 and the, the cassette was 1799. And I was like, wh- I'm like, who's paying $18 for a cassette in 2023? I don't know. I mean, are people going around to Goodwill and getting old Walkmans? And is that a, like a cottage industry to restore Walkmans? Because I know, like with video games, a few years back, yeah, old video games, there were businesses that were restoring them and returning them back to play. Uh, uh, you know, to where they were able to be played again. Oh yeah. And I knew a guy in Mesa, Arizona, that he was flying all over the country fixing video games for millionaires that this was my video game before I became a tycoon and I found it it doesn't work anymore you gotta fix it you gotta make it run again there's a place in Portland called Ground Control it was all these vintage games um, oh yeah and uh, you name it Pac-Man Space Invaders all of it like the real old school ones so are people like doing this with cassette players? Is that kind of a I haven't thing I, now? I haven't seen that and like the few people I know who like actively collect cassettes, like it's I think it's just to have like a relic of something like they don't listen to them um i actually have a small collection you know because I, I i look at thrift stores and if i find something that i like I'll grab it because they're usually like 25 cents. Um, but I have a, you know, I have a working cassette player too, which I, I did for years and years. And yeah. I would go buy them for a buck at Goodwill or something. You know? I, on, I only bought, like I bought a little boombox CD cassette player because of, like I said, a few years ago, some of my friends, their albums were only on cassette and I'm just like, all right, well, I got to find something to play this on. <laughs> It's crazy. I was wondering if it, if like Guardians of the Galaxy, how that it's all about his mixtape and High Fidelity. That was a big line in that too about mixtapes. And wonder if sometimes when these movies come out, people get back on that kick again, or or how happens. I mean, I'm waiting for like emo '90s nostalgia, and people need it. You know, CDs again. So yeah, but you know, it's gonna happen. You know, I, I'm sure of it. If bell bottoms and all those things can come back, then you know, sure. Yeah, CDs will be back one day. So I'm amazed. You said it's already happening. Yeah, I'm amazed how many people I know who have like don't have anything to play a CD on. Like you know, cars now in the U.S. don't have CD players. Um, I mean, I bought a new car 18 months ago, and 
and the guy, the salesperson, he's like, one of the nice things here, you don't have that clunky CD player here, you know? And I'm just like, I realize this is probably a selling point to 99% of the people you're talking to. I was like, but not to me. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. And I mean, every time we do a show, that's the first thing we have to ask. Well, have you got a way to play a CD? Because yeah. <laughs> we have those. Yeah. I was amazed when people, that's what they, they're so stoked. We have a CD. Wow. Yeah. I totally want to buy it. Um, like the coolest thing that happened at this place called the Thirsty Sasquatch in Washington was this lady was like, I want your whole collection on CD. And I was like, wow. <laughs> just made my month. It's like, here, take this big stack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's wonderful. But the funny funniest show we did one time was um, along the rail line, the coastal rail line in near San Diego. It was an outdoor show, trains whizzing by us. We're out on the street playing, and and there were the young kids adding us on Spotify, and then there were there was another group that wanted the vinyl, and then some seniors wanted a CD. It was we had all of our bases covered right. at that at that moment. It was pretty funny, but. Um, I, I just have to shake my head like who who does this though you know who really tries to cover all sure. those angles you know right I mean that's what t-shirts are for anymore right 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 <laughs> no we don't have a CD no we don't have a vinyl buy the t-shirt <laughs> I, I've been amazed um, the last few live shows that I've gone to you know when I look at the merch table how bands are getting creative with other merch just because like at this point I don't need any more t-shirts. Like if I see a really cool one, I'm going to buy it regardless. But like uh, the, like buying, like I've bought quite a few tote bags recently. Cause I'm like, I actually use these. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're making tote bags. Nice. Nice. Yeah. They're pretty cool actually. Nice. And they're, they're, they're fairly affordable. It's funny because I would have thought it costs more to make a tote bag than a t-shirt, but you know, uh, I, I bought, uh, there's this, uh, Canadian band, Alexis on fire that I saw in Boston, uh, last year. And I think I paid, uh, $15 for a tote bag, but you know, the t-shirts are $35 at, and I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm grabbing that tote bag. <laughs> Recycles are going in this. I'll think of you every time. Yeah. No, it's, time to make it's a shame to the recycle bin. Yeah. Uh, no, it's perfect size to fit vinyl records, actually. But yeah, that uh, was our plan, and we were like, "Okay, well, if you buy it, the whole collection, we'll give you a tote bag." Right. And that was yeah. yeah. But they're vinyl size. That's what we're going for. But we're so indie that we actually got the silk screen and learned how to do that. So we're make we're actually printing our own. You know, printing our own T-shirts, our own tote bags this time. So nice. Yeah, that's hardcore indie. It's like <laughs> the only way it would be more indie is if it were like in a basement in Portland, maybe. Right, right. I um, are you? Have you guys? Uh, have you guys done any live recording at shows? Um, like, are you going to be recording any of these shows on this tour? We want to try to get more this time. We do have a GoPro. We have in the past done quite a few GoPro clips. Mm-hmm. We want to try to get more this time. Um, a lot of times you're setting up right to the last second. Yeah, nothing's working. The sound man is 
still trying to figure out how to get you a cable or what, you know. Yeah. And, and then the video just gets forgotten about. Sure. Um, but in a lot of times, uh, like we're playing this place in Hayward near San Francisco. Great place, cool people, cool little funky town in California. Shit wall behind us for what we do with the projections. Yep. And it looks like, well, Uncle Jeb, we're going to, you know, this terrible looking. Right. It just looks like we should be Jethro and the graham crackers or something, you know. And um, <clears throat> so a lot of times it's like we really don't want video of this. <laughs> it might be a great show. People are dancing, all yeah. of that. Who cares? This backdrop, you know, we don't want it. We don't want that. That's that's back when we were a blues band, I think. You know, that would have been fine. But. Sure. So we're going to try to be better about it. And we are doing a thing in Arizona, a live stream session where we're just going to play a show. It's going to go out live. We'll send you the link to it. And he's like, promote it like a show. Right. People watch it, stream it, comment in the, in the comments while it's happening and try to interact with your fans while it's happening. And, and then it'll be on his YouTube channel afterwards so we'll, we'll have, hopefully have one show in a quality setting with a professional team this time out the theater show we did earlier this year amazing looking yeah. it was a place that usually asked guys from the like the Vienna, uh, Vienna Symphony Orchestra and things like this really amazing place with incredible acoustics we had the projections going you know, on this huge screen. Yeah. It was amazing. And, uh, but we didn't, we didn't get really good footage of it. It was too hard to capture and we didn't have a professional videographer there to capture it or anything. So we got some kind of cool clips of it, mm -hmm. but it's a shame that we didn't get more of that. So it, it's rough though. I mean, there's, there's limits. We're, we're already tap dancing with all of our effects pedals and she's, She's scrolling through all the video, computer animated videos that we have. They're live, you know, hooked to our drum beats. Yeah. So they're reacting to the drum beats. And then she scrolls through different scenes. And then I'm changing from organ to strings to tremolo to, you know, and there's just limits sure. of what you can do. So, but I hope we get some more this time out. Um, that would be good. At least one show, hopefully. That's going to come together in Phoenix. Nice. Way back sections is the is the channel on YouTube. Nice. What was you the? What's that? Did you do much stand up lately? Or okay. uh, I actually did a <laughs> I did a private gig on this road trip um, in uh, North Carolina, which was. It wasn't the reason for the trip by any means. It was more just like, a, well, now I can write this trip off as a business expense, even though I spent way more on the trip than I got paid for the gig. Um, and I, there's since 2002, I've curated, um, five of these like little one day festivals where it was like stand up and spoken word and music. Um, the last one I did was in August. Um, it's tough around here trying to find venues that'll let you do it in the winter time, just because for some reason people just don't really go out uh, in New England in the winter time unless it's like a huge draw. Because part of the 
part of the thing that I was doing for these festivals, it's, it's, it's called Mouth Almighty. And, you know, some of, some of the people that performed each time were, it was li- literally their first time ever getting on stage. It was sort of like giving an opportunity for people who have never had an opportunity, but also people who have done it before. And, you know, um, it's a lot of fun, but, uh, a lot of work too. So, you know, um, hopefully now, uh, I'll do another one in the springtime. Um, but other than that, like, I haven't I haven't done a ton of stand up really in the last few years. I actually hadn't done it at all in about two and a half years and then someone uh in twenty nineteen asked me if I would do you know, do a show that they were doing and they're you know, dear friends, so I, I find it hard to say no to them, so I said yeah. So I challenged myself to do um ten minutes of clean material, which I had never done before which which i probably hard for you yeah for sure yeah well it was funny because like you know after i did it my mother's like see you can do it now you should do it this way all the time and i'm like no way <laughs> uh but i think like creatively i really have like in the last few years thrown myself into painting more um right and you know because you know any creative endeavor you only have so much fuel in the tank and um, where I was really kind of focusing on that uh, stand up sort of took a back, you know, was on the back burner for a while. And I'm actually, I, I've been kind of challenged myself the first, first uh, quarter of this year, really focusing on this script that I've been kind of half heartedly working on for about five years to come up with a, with a workable draft by, uh, April 1st. So I have been doing art, but, um, not as, not in earnest the way I was in the last year. I mean, I did, I challenged myself to do 300 portraits in 2022, um, uh, which I did. Um, but after that, I was just like, all right, I I need to do smaller little, little projects. Uh, I mean, it was good good and i could see improvement you know from doing it but also i was just like all right i, I need to do something switch gears for a little bit just so i don't get burned out yeah yeah i've um <clears throat> we did a, an art opening at a little cafe in it's like right on the french border from here crazy australian lady that just invited me out she's she had seen my things online on, yeah. on uh, Instagram and said, "Oh, I really love your paintings. You should come. You should bring some paintings down. You can be my first artist at my new cafe that I'm opening." I'm like, "Sounds great." Yep. But it really made me realize how little I've been painting in the last, you know, because these were I had to finish two paintings for the show, but that was the only painting I had done in like years. Yeah. You know? And that was such a big part of my life at one point. It's kind of. It's kind of strange, and I guess it's gone more towards the illustration, the nerdy sci-fi illustrations that I've sent you now and then. Right. Um, but yeah, it's funny how you find another outlet for your creativity. I think, and you just sort of go with that. Right now, of course, it's all about the music, but right. Um, but yeah, the painting. I mean, still creative, still allows you to express yourself in some way. Yeah. Maybe more so than stand up. Well, yeah, well, I also I, I think a lot of 
you know, just the way the world's changed in the past decade, I was like, you know, being, you know, a cis white male uh, now in his mid forties, I'm like, I think a lot of the stuff that I talked about, I was like, I might not necessarily be as interesting to people as, as it was when I was in my, you know, like mid thirties. So, you know, uh, I was just like, yeah, I don't know. But I also feel like I'm in a much happier place personally. So there's less of a, I don't know, uh, <laughs> the less, less angst inside. So the less need to kind of vent my frustrations, uh, into a mic in front of, you know, a room full of strangers and acquaintances. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the funny thing to me that so many comedians just have serious demons that yeah. they're trying trying to deal with, contend with. When you when you read about the lives of Richard Pryor and Robin Williams, you know, and there's so many tragic stories like that. So I'd rather hear you say you're happy in painting than <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so the I think, no, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was just going to ask about the the color theme with Hugh. Was that like was that a theme from the get go, or was it like did you have a couple songs you're like oh these are both kind of color orientated let's let's go with that theme like or was it a specific challenge that you came up with? It became a challenge uh, for sure. It became uh, how do we stick to this theme and how do we you know we had other songs that we were working on we were like yeah it's really not a color song I guess we don't do it. How do you, you know, and I, I was even really trying to stretch some of these songs to get them to fit the color theme, but it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, but then we just had a burst of creativity and we had plenty of songs, so it didn't really matter. But the, I think the initial impetus was that we were doing the Louis Belk album and Paul Clay and uh, a fellow by the name Johannes Eaton invented the first color wheel at the Bauhaus and the the Louis Belk album was kind of a Bauhaus album because it had the mantra of starting from zero and then Paul Clay was an instructor at the Bauhaus and had some of the themes of it. Um, but the two songs that were dealing with the color wheel didn't get on the album <clears throat> because of this, because of time constraints, but also because of the limits of vinyl. Yeah. And then we're like, well, we need to we need to get those songs rolling. We need to do them on the next album, and so it's ironic that they were probably the original, you know, inspiration for doing a color album, and they're not on the album. Right. So again, again, um, and it was, um, and so we knew we had those two songs, and we had a mandate to finish and record and get out in some form, and then we went to this exhibit in Marrakesh. Uh, dealing with the seven colors of the vagabond's cloak or the seven colors of Ganawa. And Ganawa is this culture from West Africa that was influenced by uh, Mali, mm-hmm. the scholars and people, mystics coming out of Timbuktu and going into North Africa and to Morocco. And it's this whole, um, you know, black African movement. And it you can hear it in the blues you can hear it in Caribbean music. You can hear the influence of Gnawa, and it's it's a it's a trance music. So it's very similar to like the music of, of the voodoo music of Haiti or uh, some of the Caribbean music, where they just they just on the same exact rhythm for like days. 
until they fall over, right? Like carnival music, for example. Yeah. And that, that African, West African connection. Um, and we were just intrigued by this exhibit and um, was all of the different themes. And we're like, wow, that would be wild to do a musical interpretation of these seven colors. Um, and you get into the issues of cultural appropriation and things like that. So we we're very like sensitive about, well, we don't want it to be like we're mocking this in any way. And right. there were certain, certain things we avoided in trying to interpret it. But that was that was probably the first real step towards doing a color album was that piece. And Regula really laid down all these different layers and sounds and drum beats. And she presented it to me and said, here it is, there's seven colors, what do you think? And I was just blown away. I was like, this is really... It was amazing. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do to this. Right. <laughs> but it was amazing. And so we just kept stabbing at it, kept going and going and going until it was like, I tried every effect that I had. I tried every possible scenario until I, okay, now we're, now we're in this. This is it. I think we locked into something. And the irony, I think, was that I really kind of uh, imitated the sort of West African style of like, um, of a Kora. You know, this harp. I got to play a harp, a Kora harp, in uh, a market in Rabat. This old guy had an amplified Kora, and he let me play it in the shop. And it just sounded amazing. It felt great. It was like I was a fish in water somehow. Like, yeah. Picking for the blues, I was able to do it somehow. And um, uh, just amazing experience. Like, I was trying to imitate that sound on guitar. And that was the leap. I was like, okay. Now we're getting into West African influence musically too. So, uh, but I think Seven Colors was the first one. Then it was like, well, how do, can we do a whole album of colors? That might be something. And it just started to appear. The songs just started to be like, okay, well, it's a cool song. What's the color theme? Oh, lenses a rose. And okay, that's a color. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, just, and then some of them, it was just like, like Sapphire Blue, which is maybe my favorite song on the album, Stolen Sapphire Blue. Um, I just, I heard Blue when she was playing me yep. pieces, and it just, it just, this lyrics just came really fast. Like, I, I hear this whole story in my mind, and let me just, and it was really like one session we had the lyrics for that. Just, she's just playing me the parts, and I'm already writing down the lyrics so so in some cases it was like alright I know what color this is now I need to just write that story yeah. so it was, a, it was a bit of both um, but then after a while it became this sort of you know, it's gotta be a color song <laughs> yeah. it's not getting up now how do I make this a color song um, but uh, well, it really a great experiment I mean something you could do as an artist too as a visual artist just give yourself one color for a while. It's a challenge. Give yourself three colors and see what you can do with only three colors. I did... Um, pictures are cool. I did a project with a, a buddy of mine a year ago. Um, there's this there's this thing called the, the RPM challenge that uh, uh, New Hampshire paper started like 15, 16 years ago, and the challenge is to write and record and release an album in the month of February, you know, cause it's the shortest month. And, uh, my buddy Ryan, who, um, I just, I, um, you guys are now 
the third people, third guest that I've had on three times, but he was the, he was the second one. Um, but we did, we did this twice where, um, cause he's in a band and is the primary songwriter in his band, but was looking for sort of a way to, um, try new songwriting techniques. So what we did for five or six days every morning, I would send him just five or six song titles. And then he had to write a, he would pick two or three of them and write a song. And there was, it was kind of like a guided by voices, like 70 second song, but he had to use the title of the song somewhere in the lyrics. Um, but then he would send them back to me and then I would create a painting based on that, but it couldn't be figurative. It had to be more expression. And I limited myself to two color, like the same two colors for the whole set. And I picked colors that I specifically never use because I don't like them. So it made me get creative. It was like like neon orange and purple one year. And then it was like, God, I don't remember what the other one was, but it was, it was, it was, it was an interesting exercise because it gets you to kind of use different creative muscles. Yeah. Well, I always remember the assignment in a advanced drawing course was to go home and in the same night try to draw the most beautiful thing you can draw and draw the ugliest thing you could draw. Yeah. And bring both in. And it was funny how the, the ugliest one ended up being the prettiest and the prettiest one <laughs> being the ugliest. It was like if you're if you're forcing something, a lot of times it just doesn't. It doesn't work, but I mean, it stretches you. Like you said, if oh, I, I really can't even look at this orange. Yeah. If you can get past that, I think you, know, you might get into some cool territory with that. But um, yeah, I mean, a part. I think a subconscious thing too was just wanting to bring color to everyone after the the drab years of COVID. You know, right? And wanting this how do we just have this sort of uh, colors of spring is, you know, it's the opener because it's kind of like we need, we need that again. We need a rebirth. Um, You know, the message is that no matter how bad it is, there's going to be another spring, you know, as long as we screw the environment up so badly that there's no more spring. But um, most likely there's going to be another spring, you know, (laughs) And it seems, uh, it seems, you know, impossible in, in the middle of winter. And, you know, you guys have been getting some horrible storms from what we've seen. And yeah. It's, it's been pretty bad here, too. It's just freezing, and, and there's nothing on any trees anywhere. And it's like it's hard to imagine that, it, yeah, life will come back. You know, things will be better. But it's just, just kind of a cliche, almost cliche, simple idea. But... It's something I think people still need to hear a lot of times, especially artists. Artists are usually like, you know, right, you know, on suicide watch most of the time. Right. And it's like I get, a, I get a direct message two in the morning, and you know, I make the time to chat with the person because it's like that's not normal. Something's up, you know. Yeah. So it tells me that you know <clears throat> sometimes you get a song line about that you might be that lifeline that keeps that person in this in the world you know yeah 
but I keep throwing that message out there because it, it's still valid. I think it's still like the ultimate positive message is, you know, hang on. <laughs> but for sure, for sure. Well, that's, a, I think that's a good place to, uh, to, to put a, put a comma in the conversation. I won't say put a period. Cause you know, I feel like every time we talk, we kind of pick up some stuff that we were talked about the last time, but, uh, yeah. Um, when, so what are the dates that you're going to be in the U S? Uh, March 15th, I think it's the first. 16th is the first show, March 16th in the States, in Kingman, Arizona, nice. on Route 66. Yeah, which was a fun place we played last time. We actually played St. Patty's Day, and we were like, this could go really badly. Right. <laughs> and we definitely got some looks like, you're not Irish, you know. Right. And we, you know, we do, we did play some Van Morrison, that's as close as we got, but. Sure. <laughs> you too, I think, as well. No, we didn't do you too, yeah. Uh, we might this time. Just we don't, don't do covers. We don't really. We try to avoid covers, but um, we ended up. They ended up having cancellations, so we're actually doing two shows at this place: St. Patty's Day and the day before. And we're hoping we can bring in some more, maybe do the electronic thing. Sure. On uh, when on the first day, but we'll see. We'll see how they feel about it. Uh, we have what we call hybrid shows, where it's part acoustic. Part electronic, yep. and uh, we're doing that in Sonoma, playing a place in Sonoma, and we'll start off acoustic, Delta Blues, and whatnot, and then go into the electronic. So, um, a couple places we may do that. And then from King Minutes, Redondo Beach, then Hotel Utah Saloon in San Francisco, then Hayward, uh, Rain Dog Records, yes, in Petaluma. Uh, Portland, Oregon. No fun, a really fun bar <laughs> in Portland. Idaho to a family winery. We we've played out a few times. We've we know we've known the owners for a long time, and um, they just keep having us back whenever we're in the area. In Idaho Falls, um, Bozeman, Billings. Denver, Grand Junction, nice Moab, Moab, Moab to Phoenix, Phoenix to the Lost Leaf. So, um, and then to Bisbee at the Bisbee Social Club, right? And there's still a few holes in there. Uh, we might fill some more, but right now it's 18 shows all together. So, nice. pretty nice. That's a good tour. Yeah, the, the live session for the for the YouTube channel, that thing, that would be 19 shows. And a friend of ours trying to put together a show last night that we were there, but we'll see. Nice. Nice. Well, I'll try and time this out just right before you guys are getting getting to the States, so, you know. Keep it uh, keep it fresh in people's minds. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> we should do an East Coast tour one time, but we just don't have the contacts. You know, we, sure. We know about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you may as well go to see your brother in Poland. I mean, it's about the same. Right? We don't know very many people out that way. Now, my brother lives in a really crappy town near Scranton. And he's like, he sent me a magazine of all these local bands there. And he's like, oh, you should come play. And I'm like, I'm looking at the bar, and I'm like, 
Wow. Dude. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I got some connections in Boston. I got some connections in New York and that's, and Vermont too, actually. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Who knows? It might happen someday. Uh, we did play in Florida a few times. Yeah. We played New Orleans once. That was, it was great fun, but you know, you just lose your mind in New Orleans. Sure. And that blowing all of your all of your money on oysters and beignets and stuff. <laughs> so, yep. Which is a good way to blow your money. Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, well, it was good chat with yeah. you. I'd kind of sort of seen you. Right. <laughs> you know, you're always welcome. We've got a guest bed here, so. Well, hopefully uh, hopefully, I'm going to be making it to uh, Europe sometime. And then, I mean, I was, I was in England, but that's not, I know it's technically Europe, but it's not the mainland of Europe. Hopefully, I'm going to be making it back in the next 12 months, so. I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely hit you guys up. Your brother's still in Poland. Still in Krakow, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Could do a little northern central Europe tour thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. We get cheap flights out of Basel, so nice. We might out see if that works for you. Sweet. All right. Good talking to you guys. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Yeah, dig the new record. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> Thanks for having us on, Scott. Absolutely. Always great to talk to you guys. All right. Bye. Ciao.